0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. What we're going to do here is we're going to skip ahead a few chapters from where Pastor Allen has been preaching the last few weeks. I think he ended up in John chapter 8. We're going to go to John chapter 13. Um, and while you're turning there, here's what I want each and every one of you to do. I want you to turn to somebody make sure you put your eyeball on them and i want you to tell them you are worth it you are worth it you are worth it make sure that everybody receives amen amen this is this is an important message this is actually my message today and so what i want to what i want to make sure that each and every one of you want to hear this morning. So you're going to hear it from me, young people. Hey, you're going to hear this from me. You are worth it. A lot of times, uh, people never receive this message from Jesus. So as we go in and we look into John chapter 13, I want to kind of tell you a little bit about what's getting ready to take place. John chapter 13 is the beginning of what is commonly called, and I don't want to use any Christianese here, but it's called the Upper Room Discourse. What it is is it's four chapters in, in the book of John where we see Jesus interacting in very private conversation with his disciples. And if there were any place in the entire Bible that the message of pure grace that God sent to us through Jesus Christ is Encompassed it's in these four chapters in the book of John John thirteen through seventeen pure grace is being communicated by the Lord God Almighty in this passage and so I, I have a a lot of regard for this part of the word. It's a beautiful picture and what I want to say is that as as we enter this upper room where the disciples have gone with Jesus to take the last Supper. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, and he's for the first time in his ministry, he's received the the hosannas of the people as he entered Jerusalem. They said, Hosanna, blessed is the king. And he received that for the first time because Jesus knew what was getting ready to take place over the next couple of days. So let's start right there in verse 1, and we'll begin to read. We'll go through verse 17. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he, Jesus, knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him if you knew the if you know these things blessed are you if you do them well wow. join me as i pray just briefly lord i just thank you for the your word and the picture that you paint for us here in this in this passage, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you, your Holy Spirit is here in this place, preparing the hearts of your people to receive what you have for them to hear this morning, Lord. Lord, I stand before you and I say, use me, every word, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're going to come back to this word in just a minute. But first I want to introduce you to to somebody. Joshua, you go That guy that's up there on the screen right now, pretty sharp-looking guy. The gentleman's name is Marine Corps Command Sergeant Major Anthony S. D'Amico. Um, I called him father-in-law, and Marietta called him dad. Interesting character as I look at him. I mean, the memories just flood back in. But I want to talk to you a little bit about Tony. Tony. In the early 40s, there was a war going on, and Tony like so many millions of other young men of his age, left home. His home happened to be in Brooklyn, New York. And he left behind a pregnant wife, actually. And he went to go fight the war. And a little bit different in those days. I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. When those guys left, it was very likely that they were not going to come back unless they were dead, wounded, Or until the war was over. That was a done deal. They're going. Sergeant D'Amico joined the Marine Corps. And here in my hand, I have his combat knife. And it's really an artifact of World War II. And you guys cannot see this. I barely can see it. But it's interesting. The sheath is covered with notations that he's carved in there. It says, Sergeant Anthony S. D'Amico, Brooklyn, New York, U.S. Marine Corps. And then, as you begin to turn around and look at this combat knife that he carried into to battle, I read things like Paris Island, South Carolina, and then Camp Elliott, California, and then Matama Bay, and it says aircraft carrier. And it says Pearl Harbor. And then it says Camp Tarawa, Antinian, Saipan, Marshall Islands, Formosa. And then I take it out and I read things like Nagasaki. And Mount Fujiyama and Yokohama you see these guys were part of something that was extremely big and Tony left and being a a member of the 2nd Marine Division each Marine Division was 18,000 men There were six Marine divisions in that theater of operations. And what those guys would do is they would leave and embark on a ship and a couple of divisions, sometimes three divisions at a time, would would go to this island that was determined by the commanding officers to be of strategic importance to the Allies. And these two divisions would disembark this big vessel and get on these little boats and they would go into the beach and they would hit that beach in places like I, I just read and they would fight literally until every one of the enemy was killed and then two divisions would stay behind and two divisions would go to the next island and they would take that and the two divisions that stayed behind they would go to the next island and they would take that It was called the Island Hopping Campaign, and and literally, island by island by island, these Marines were fighting their way back across the Pacific towards Japan. And then all of the divisions were gathered in vessels around the main islands of Japan, and this was going to be a battle that everyone was dreading. Every Marine division that was available, six divisions in the Pacific, were surrounding Japan, And then the world heard of a thing called Hiroshima. And then a few days later, another thing called Nagasaki. And then two days later, Tony was standing in Nagasaki after Japan surrendered. And I know it's terrible, but I, I, I think that we have to praise God that we didn't have to go through the battle in Japan. After the war was over... Tony left the Marine Corps for a number of years. He went back to Brooklyn. He became a motorcycle cop, New York Police Department. And he did that for a number of years until he kind of got tired of the graft and the corruption that he saw. And so he went back into the Marine Corps, served three tours of duty in Vietnam, continued on in the Marine Corps, retiring As he was being considered for command sergeant major of the entire corps, he retired due to some family reasons. But what I'm telling you is that here is a man that was disciplined and respected in every way. I mean, there are only a few sergeant majors in the Marine Corps anyway. These guys are tough. Tony was an interesting character. Late in his life, he developed a rare form of cancer. It was inoperable because of where it was located in his lung. He he hadn't smoked. He never smoked. But we believe because all of the the men in his unit developed various forms of cancer, the guys that were in Nagasaki, it might have been due to the exposure to radiation. Um, Anyway, he developed this rare form of cancer in his lung, inoperable, and he was told. You only have a few weeks to live. And through a miracle of the Holy Spirit, I can say that Tony received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was awesome. And someday I'll preach about that story, maybe. But he waited for death with a lot of dignity, and, and, and I, Marietta and I, praise God, had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him during these last few weeks. And I remember one time while he was in hospice, and he was at a Assisted care facilities and hospice. And I'm sitting there with Tony, and this lady from hospice comes in, and she's literally an angel. And she comes in, and she's carrying a kit, for lack of a better word. And she sits it down, and, and Tony would, after he declared Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he would, he would constantly tell me, yo, Greg, he kind of talked like Sylvester Stallone, Jesus is really coming through for me. You know? And so this lady comes in and very lovingly gives him a pedicure and washes his feet. And I watch this. And it's a beautiful thing. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could ever do that. I mean, this is an act of Jesus in the, in, that I'm watching right here. and And, and Tony, this proud man... Laid there and received that. He received it. And after she got done, he turns to me, Greg, Jesus is really coming through for me. See, I believe that because Tony's encounter with the living word was so fresh, that he was recognizing that Jesus was telling him, you are worth it. Jesus was receiving I mean, Tony was receiving, you are worth it, that message from Jesus. So let's go back to the scriptures. And there's a lot of things that are going on in here uh, in this passage that we just read. But I want you to be aware of a number of things, some very key things. First off, and this is something that as I read this passage that I want you all to hear because it's Going to become more and more and more important as the time for Jesus to come back draws close. And that is, Jesus is absolutely in charge of this situation. He is declaring the timing of his death. He's not a victim here. As a matter of fact, if we read the accounts leading up to the crucifixion in, in Mark 14 and Luke 22 and Matthew 26 you can see that Judas is conspiring with the leaders of the Jews and the leaders of the Jews have made this decision that we don't want to we don't want to take Jesus out we don't want to kill him during the Passover because during the Passover Jerusalem would be literally filled with people maybe swelling to 10 times its its normal size and so they didn't want to make a big deal out of uh, out of taking Jesus out. So they were going to wait until after the festival was over. Jesus, recognizing that he was indeed the Passover lamb, made a declaration there in the upper room that no, this timing is mine. And so he called the devil's hand. And he he showed the devil That he knew who would betray him. And so Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was in control of the situation. And because we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, declare Jesus, we need to get out of our own victim mentality. We need to quit looking at Jesus as a victim and begin to look at Jesus as a victor. Hallelujah. We need to recognize that Jesus is the solution. He was not victimized in this particular case. When you go out into the world, brothers and sisters, you are not victims. There are Christians in this world that truly are victims. I'm telling you right now. But in this place, when you leave this place, you are not a victim. No, you are a solution. And it's going to be more and more important for you to be that solution as the time draws near. So I want you to discount this entire victim mentality and make sure that you're recognizing yourself as Victor Jesus. You are a vessel of Victor Jesus, the one who was declaring the timing of his own sacrifice. From a practical perspective, I think that Jesus is doing something through this through this washing of the disciples' feet that's that's very interesting. I think that there might be something there where Jesus is actually preparing the disciples, recognizing that they are the ones that he is going to leave behind that are going to be the vessels of the good news at least initially. And I think that probably what he's doing is he's preparing preparing those vessels. Romans 10:15 says and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so there's a, I think there's a practical preparation there that's taken place. I think the other thing that is taking place as we see Jesus work with the disciples there in the upper room is that he is literally walking out a living parable. And this morning we sang that song that, that humbly you, you stepped into the world you created, all for love's sake became poor. I think that as we see Jesus get up from the table and he literally takes his garment off and he guards himself and then he humbles himself before his disciples. And becomes their servant. I think that we're seeing a picture of exactly what he did as he left the table of the Father. And he stepped into the world. And he made that sacrifice. And so I don't want to lose that picture either. I want you to understand that what he was doing is he literally was showing the, the, the disciples and us today that you are worth it. You're worth it. Stepped out of glory, brothers and sisters. Stepped into humanity, all humanity. The other thing that Jesus is definitely doing here is he's displaying his his servant's heart. And I guess literally thousands of sermons, thousands of words could be spoken in regards to the idea of servanthood that's being pictured here. but one thing that I do want you to get is that I think that Jesus being all human and recognizing that he is declaring the timing of his own crucifixion, keep in mind Jesus is getting, getting ready to, he's getting ready to die a, a terrible death, a death that could not be inflicted upon any Roman citizen a death that was viewed by the jews as despicable and he knows that he's going to die that death and i think that because he's all human he feels the bible says that he feel he feels everything that we have felt he's got to feel fear he's got to feel trepidation he's got to feel anxiety and all of those things that 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 we would feel being in that same Situation, And because I think that he feels all those things, I think that there is a key here that we need to unlock. And that is that by stepping into the role of servant, Jesus is drawing closer to his disciples and he's drawing closer to the Father. He's preparing himself for what he knows he's going to face. And he's saying, you know what, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to be a servant, because I know that what happens when I serve is that I'm going to get closer to God, and I need that right now. When I serve, I'm going to get closer to these brothers, and I need that right now. I need to feel that humanity. I need to feel that relationship, because what I'm facing is horrible. And so what I would challenge each and every one of you in this room this morning is that if you feel like you're in a relationship that needs some restoration, needs some repair. Or maybe you feel like your relationship with the Lord God Almighty is not complete, it's not whole, it's not all there, it's not as close as you want it to be. Step into the role of a servant. Let God work through that situation. I guarantee you that you will draw nearer to that person that you want that relationship with. If I want to draw closer to Marietta, I serve her. And i got to tell you, brothers, a lot of times it's all that I can do to, to walk in that role. I'm just being honest. It's all I can do to, to do that. But I know that if something's not quite right, if I do that, it's going to get right. It's going to be good. So I would just challenge you. Fathers, if, if you feel like you're not close to your children, serve them. Husbands, if you feel like you're not close to your wives, serve them. Brothers and sisters, if you feel like you're not close to the Lord God Almighty, find a place to serve. It's amazing how that works in the kingdom. It's amazing. Let's hone in on verse 10 here a little bit. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Or, to use the Greg Harrell transliterated version of the King James, it would say something along the lines of, he who is washed needs only to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Thanks, Joshua. In this passage, it's interesting that that the first wash that's up there on the screen right now, or the, the word bathed in the in the New King James Version, is a Greek word called luo. luo. And what luo means, it's a very specific word. It's only used a few times in the entire Bible. Six, to be precise. But what luo means is, it means the washing of a dead person. The washing of a dead person. Or the washing out of significant wounds, washing away the blood. I want you to catch that. And then the second washing here is the Greek word nipto, and nipto is much more commonly used in the the New Testament. Nipto means just simply to wash with water and typically wash the hands and feet. So what Jesus is telling us here is something that's really important, something that a lot of us tend not to, to recall. Some cases, you may not have ever received this at all. And that is, He came so that we could be bathed, that is the Luo word, so that we could be redeemed and our dead bodies washed into life. But He also did something else, and He's doing something else right now, because you are worth it. And that is, He came. And he wants to wash each and every one of you every day. He recognized that he was going to leave us behind in a world that would draw us away from the kingdom mindset that we're supposed to have. He recognized that he was going to leave us behind in a world that would try to contaminate us. That he was going to... Remove us from furthering God's kingdom on earth. And that he was going to leave us in a world that would try to diminish that thought process that we are worth it every time we turn around. And what Jesus was trying to do here is he is demonstrating to us that he is there to wash us because you are worth it daily. He's willing to wash you. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. See, I think that what's going on here, this living parable, this event that we see outlined in this passage of Scripture is something that's very significant. I think that this passage, this act that that Jesus walked out, I think it actually occurs right in front of Satan, that is, the being that is our enemy. In verse 27 of this passage, if you drop down to verse 27, you can see that Satan himself entered Judas Iscariot, and then Jesus, after Satan's in there, Jesus turns to him and says, "What you do, do quickly." Now I know one thing, and that is that Satan is not—he is not God's equal, not even close. I know that he's not omnipresent, but I think what he was doing is he's keeping track—he's keeping track on what's going on with Jesus. I think he's there in that upper room. And I know that Jesus knows that he's there in the upper room. Jesus will wash the feet of Judas. Not a problem. Jesus is disarming this entire situation. Jesus is setting the terms of his own sacrifice. Satan... But we read in Isaiah 14, there are a series of, of I will statements uttered by Satan. And he says, I, I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will, I will, I will ascend into heaven. I will be like the Most High. And there are several others. So in the presence of this being, our enemy, that is declaring the I will statements, we have, the real Most High who's kneeling at the feet of the disciples and he's undoing everything that Satan wants to do. Awesome picture. Awesome picture. And a picture that, because you are worth it, that you need to receive today. See, I think that Satan, as he watched this, he recognized that there's true power in this act of humility that's being displayed by Jesus. Jesus. And at that point, Satan says, that's some power right there. That's some power. And ever since then, brothers and sisters, Satan has been lying to God's people. Satan's been lying to God's people. He's been lying to you, maybe, about your worthiness. He's been lying to you about the price that Jesus paid for you. He's been lying to you about the fact that that Jesus is willing to stand right with you and to wash you every day because you're worth it. Jesus is faithful. He is the word that washes daily. Psalm 119 and verse 9 says that how will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And Ephesians 5 says that Jesus himself is washing His people, that is the church, he's cleansing and sanctifying her by washing them with water by the word. And so some of you in this place this morning need to understand that you might have received the luo washing. That is the declaration that, yes, indeed, I received you, Jesus. I thank you that you have washed me from death into life. And sometimes we stop right there and we don't go on but what I want to tell you brothers and sisters is that Jesus also came so that he could give you the daily nipto washing and the devil might have been talking to you he might have been saying you are not worth it today we're going to dismantle that lie shake you want to come on up here we're going to I just want you, brothers and sisters, to know that each and every one of you are worth it. You're worth it. I want you to hear that this morning. I want you to leave this place fully understanding that you're worth it. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes, if you would. Every every eye closed. Every head bowed. And if there's anybody here in this place, nobody can see you. Maybe you've heard me talk about this Jesus that came to wash from death into life. And maybe you've never declared that Jesus is able to do that for you. If that's you, I just want you to just poke your hand up. Real quickly, put your hand up. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And with every head remaining bowed and every eye remaining closed, maybe you have received that original washing that Jesus came to bring. You have walked and you have declared that Jesus is indeed your life. And you've stepped into that. But you never received the fact that Jesus wants to declare you as worth it. You've forgotten that Jesus is willing to cleanse you each and every day. And if that's you, I just want to have you poke up your hand really quickly. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to go ahead and call the... The ministry team forward, and there are. If the ministry team would come forward now, um, if if you were in that first group that needed to declare that Jesus Christ is indeed your Lord and Savior today, we just want to praise God for that declaration. And somebody up here will pray with you, so that you can make sure that you know that Jesus loves you. And declares that you're worth it. And if you're in that second group and you've forgotten, or maybe you never even knew that Jesus was there walking with you, there's somebody up here to pray for you about that as well. So I just invite you to come forward right now and pray with these people that are willing to pray with you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, church. All right, church. I wanna, I wanna just pray over all of us. I wanna ex- definitely include myself in this prayer. You'll join me. We'll, we'll call this portion of the service over, and we'll let you head out. But. Just join me as we pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the declaration that Jesus came to to make over each and every one of us here. That he was victorious. That he was not a victim. That he was an overcomer. And because he was an overcomer, we indeed are overcomers, Lord. I thank you, Father, for that, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your people that are hearing this message, Lord. And as they leave this place, that they will walk in a new and fresh recognition of who you are. That you are right there with each and every one of them as they go about their day. As they walk in the world, Lord, that they will be the solution and not the victim. That they will be the overcomer when... when Satan wants to come against them. I thank you, Father God, for your people, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that as they leave this place, that you will encourage them and be with them during this coming week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You're at best. Thank you for listening.
1: See the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see.
0: We're excited to announce Generations Church now has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10:30 a.m. This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So, we want you to join us at 9 or 10:30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377.